And I'm not telling you, hey, go beat people over the head with Scripture. All I'm telling you to do is just tell them what Scripture says so that they can have a, a right view of saying, of saying, well, I don't, I don't want to do it this week. It's like, guys, we get to do it this week. We, we get to. That's the joy here. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. I am Pastor Hayden, and I'm joined with Pastor Evan. Hello. And here at Compass Bible Church, you guys know it, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And we're hoping that this podcast will aid in that in your life as a life group leader. Uh, And because of that, we are meeting right now about the current series that we have in the book of Matthew called The King Has Come, True Worship Part 1. And as we're reading through Matthew 2, we are in verses 1 through 6, and it says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And as we looked at the preaching point of this week's sermon, we read and heard that true worship can only begin after you step off the throne and diligently search for the one who truly belongs there. Pastor Evan, you were at the 9 o'clock service. Yes, I was. Any insights or questions in the text? Well, I loved right before you even jump into the points was that you defined worship. Like, How did you define it and what are your reasons? Yeah, I wanted to define worship because in so many ways that word gets thrown around a lot in uh, in churches in our lives, but like many words, if I ask, hey, define that, you'll be lost. Like, hey, define straw. You know, I, I was t- telling this to somebody I was discipling the other day. Words are hard to define anyway, but how much and more important are words to define that mean something to our life so, so in such a precious way as the word worship? And really, what worship is for you and me uh, is a the way that we live concerning uh, who Christ is and what he has done. And so that's for worship for us. It's like, what are we doing because of who he is? Not worship isn't just what we do. It's what we do because of who he is and what he has done. And so therefore, uh, if he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the curiosities over everything, that means my life should be subservient in the best way in every area and not just at church, but in all the areas of my life. And as life group leaders, this is a great opportunity for you guys to really zoom into that uh, definition and help people pinpoint every spot in their daily walk with the Lord, hopefully, right, that they can begin submitting to, uh, whether it's at work or at home, the domestic life, the uh, professional life, uh, rearing children, marriage, all those things ought to be subservient in a joyful submission and surrender to Christ. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, I heard you mention this to the 11 o'clock service um, after I read the scripture, and you mentioned um, the importance of understanding the history. It almost feels like this is a history lesson every every, every week. week. Yeah. But why is it so important that we take the time to dive into 
the history that mm-hmm. Matthew's really referring to. Well, let me tell you this, life group leaders, I won't say this in the Equip podcast, but I don't love that it's all history, history, history. Sometimes I feel like when I'm up there, it just seems very dry. Uh, and I only admit to that because I understand how much history is in this and how much you have to pay attention to the threads of history throughout the Bible. And as a history major, I love it. You love it. I have a lot of dudes. A lot of dudes come up to me, dude, I loved all the history. And I'm like, yeah, but the women didn't as much. Uh, but the point is, the reason it has to be in there is because it's so pivotal to understand the background of the text, to understand what's going on in the text. Things that would have been very well known in the first century, and especially of these uh, Jews' understanding of the Old Testament, play so much into the way that Matthew has uh, shaded uh, the, the gospel, how he's colored it in, how he's created such a juxtaposition of, of themes uh, that connect the, the Messiah, Jesus, to uh, the Davidic covenant and, and all of the uh, threads that we see being tied together in Matthew chapter 2 from the Old Testament text. And so you have to understand the history to understand the text in a way that brings it up to life, especially in the way that we apply it. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, what were your points from your sermon this morning? And just to recap, one, you need to take your place in Christ's kingdom. Point two, joyfully surrender your life. And three, act on the truth of God's word. Any particular question for those points? Well, scrolling through, I just noticed all the apologetics that you mentioned Mm. that Matthew is uh, making. But how can we as life group leaders help our people understand that you know, essentially the bad news that our kingdom is illegitimate and also understand the good news that God is going to bring us into his legitimate kingdom. Like mm-hmm. how, as life group leaders, what do we need to know about those facts and how can we communicate them to our life groups this week? Yeah. Back on to the uh, apologetic uh, argument that I think Matthew is making. And I was reading in a commentary that helped me understand the uh, geographical apologetic. I've never heard that, but as I had it written in my notes, uh, I was defining geographical apologetic without a term, and then I saw that in the te- in a commentary, and I'm like, geographical apologetic, that's exactly what Matthew's doing. So I wrote that, and then as I began reading the text, I'm like, well, that's a geographical apologetic, but here's an historical apologetic, and then here's a prophetic apologetic. And really, you can just sum up the Gospel of Matthew as the apologetic of Matthew as to the, to the proof of Christ being uh, the prophetic fulfillment in the historical fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, which I just thought was very cool uh, for you as a life group leader. Maybe that's helpful. Uh, but really when it comes to helping your life group understand their place in Christ's kingdom, uh, you guys usually do a good job at this because you're life group leaders. Uh, framing point number one in, in the positive, like taking your place in Christ's kingdom, like this, you have a place in Christ's kingdom. If you've turned from your sins, place your trust in the Christ. Like you have a place at the table with Christ. Now, that's all good news, and you need to help your group understand the good news of that and the privilege that is to sit at the table of the king. But the problem is, is so many people try to sit at the head of the table, at the king's table, when that's not their place. And so many people don't want to step off of that table and that they're going to learn that that's not their place either because of the gospel or because of Christ's uh, literal reign 
as he subdues the nations and kings bow down to him and all the nations will serve him. And as a glorious of a time that will be, there will be many people that that will not be a glorious time for. And I want to make sure uh, for as many people as possible, taking our place in Christ's kingdom is such a wonderful experience because we first understood that that's not our throne to sit on. And so I'm going to search for the one who belongs there and respond to his gracious gift of salvation. Okay, so then as life group leaders, you mentioned that essentially when we take our rightful place in Christ's kingdom, meaning not like, oh, well, this belongs to me, but more in the sense of like, okay, no, this is my place. You've been forwarded that. I've been forwarded Afford, that. A better word, afforded the privilege because of Christ Yes, to have that place. We get to, And when we do that, we get to finally live in the way that we are created to do. Now, how can we communicate that specific truth to our life groups this week? Yeah, I think that's point number two. Joyfully surrender your life. I just see so many joyless Christian... Oh, uh, I don't want to say joy, joyless Christian obedience, uh, but people who are afraid of joyless Christian obedience, so they don't do it. I see so many people who uh, reject this idea of surrender and submission to Christ because in some way it's a begrudging task for them to surrender to the king. When when I read scripture, there's only one group of people where it, it's not joyful, and it's the people who are in subjection under Christ because they didn't respond and surrender to him at his offer of grace and forgiveness for our sins by turning from our sins and placing our trust in him. So it's, to, it's just interesting to me that anyone would have a uh, joyless surrender or a begrudging surrender when that is literally how one becomes a Christian and how one lives the Christian life of the willingness and the joy to forsake all for the sake of Christ. And so that just brings me great uh, sadness, great uh, anxiety might not be the best word, but it does when, when I have to ask myself, well, why do people not want to joyfully surrender to Christ. There's something wrong with their gospel or there's something wrong with their understanding of the joy that we have in Christ that includes surrender and includes submission, but it will produce a joy in me through the work of the Spirit that cannot happen when I do not regularly submit to Jesus. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And as a life group leader, you got to help your people make that distinction. Because they can't just be like, well, I don't know, not this week, man. It's like, what do you mean not this week? Give me one example in Scripture, in the in the Gospels, where someone says, not this week, Jesus. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. We'll get to it later. As a matter of fact, every example you find where that exact situation happens, what does Jesus say? Or the dead bear their own dead. Right. Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. It's, it's never a good response to that person. And I'm not telling you, hey, go beat people over the head with Scripture. All I'm telling you to do is just tell them what Scripture says so that they can have a, a right view of saying, of saying, well, I don't, I don't want to do it this week. It's like, guys, we get to do it this week. We, we get to. Mm-hmm. That's the joy here. And the joy leads into worship isn't confined to a Sunday service. You challenged us to make sure that we are worshiping with everything that we have and in every uh, place of our life. And so how can we, it's going to be a challenge to our life groups, but how can we lead our life groups towards a direction that everything that we possess, um, the material possession, the time possession that we have, the energy possession that we have, um, and also 
the um, the idea that everything that we do is for the glory of God. Everything we can do, it can be done for worship. How can we help lead our life groups in that way? Yeah, I'll just give you a I'll give you a little case study. Let's talk about work. Let's talk about our vocation. All right, because yes. we got to worship in everything. So we definitely got to worship in our work. Is that correct? Yes. All right. So if we're going to worship in our, our work, we got to think of 1 Corinthians 10, 31, which I talked about over the last couple of weeks. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Okay, but what about work, work, like actual work? Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Even this, the thief comes up. How do I worship God this week? Well, according to Scripture, God's self-revelation, you are a thief. Stop stealing. Now. Stop it. Stop. But rather, go work, labor, put your hand to work, doing honest work, not just so you can fill up your time, so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. Right? Do you see how worship became a practical thing? If you're a thief, stop stealing. There's a there's a work. Right? At First Thessalonians four eleven through twelve, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. This isn't a, this isn't a, and I guess that's the New Living Translation is probably not the best one to. To read, aspire to live quiet lives and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders. That's that's an act of worship. Walking properly to outsiders. Why? To extend glory to God. That is an actual uh, practical worship. And so that that's just a, a, a case study. And looking at scripture and say, hey, it teaches me how to work and what way I ought to do it. Uh, and, and it tells me about being lazy. And it tells me about uh, having... Uh, even I think Proverbs twelve eleven, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Right? That means hey, especially I mean young people or old people, whoever you are, right? Uh, hey, look, if you have honest work in front of you, even though it's not the best work in your mind, that's better. The the Bible says than he who follows worthless pursuits. The one who's like, well, there's a better there's a better option in front of me. I'm not going to take this job because I have this potential of something else happening in the future. No, 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 no. Whoever works his land, just that's just simple work. He's going to have what he needs. But the one who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Okay, I want to stop there, but just to prove, hey, guys, go to Scripture. Find the practical places in everyone's life, and then just have to go to Scripture and attack your life with Scripture. Sounds like point number three. Yeah, that's really what I was going on. Act on the truth of God's Word. Like people, and that's why I use this, uh, that's why I use this uh, case study was simply because so many people don't worship God in the rest of their life because they don't know God's word enough to act on it. And that's why I wanted to push that point home was just because you see the wise men, there is probably not a lot of people who had genuine special revelation uh, in the in the finite amount that the wise men had, which I think is one of the... Uh, the, the uh, I don't know, I'm not really good with big fancy words. Uh, I think that's just one of the, the detrimental uh, observations of the text is you had these wise men who had a finite amount, a very finite amount of revela- a special revelation from God. And you had these other group of people, the chief uh, priests and scribes, who had just a massive amount of... Uh, a massive amount of God's special revelation and embarrassment of riches. And you still have the ones with a finite amount of information willing to do something with what they had. 
and the ones who had all the information weren't. So it's not simply, hey, if you have all the information, you're going to do it. No, it's like your joyful surrender is going to make you act on the revelation you do have and drive you to have more of that special revelation to surrender to more of the special revelation that you do receive. But you have to respond to the one, the, the, the amount of God's word you do know now and then look forward to knowing more so that you can continue to act on the truth of God's word. It's not always the amount that you have. It's what you're willing to do with the revelation you do have. Well, speaking of revelation, you have us turning to several... The revelation of God, by the way, not just the book of Revelation. Uh, you have us turning to defi- uh, to several passages this week for our life group uh, questions. And how can we help our life groups this week in these questions? Really, I mean, like these questions are always just a... Uh a rephrasing of the points in a way that helps them apply it. And so I, I don't really have any more to add to application questions. So life group leaders, I'm going to leave this to you. But if you do have questions, you know I'm more than welcome to answer them. And always the emphasis, make sure that we have applicators and not, not just, just commentators. Commentators right. and even tra- challenge applicators. To, you can always build off of what they say. This is sometimes what I do. Um, is it right? You know, okay, so then how do you apply? It's just asking that second question after this share to go, okay, then how does that practically change your life? How, you know? Yeah, and that's, you're always going to get, you're going to get that, and they're going to look at you like a deer in the headlights because they have a good comment, but they have no idea how that's going to impact their life. And if that happens, make sure that you are able to then help help, apply, them. help them, help them apply. Help. You don't want to do that just to embarrass people. <laughs> No, no, but, in front no of group. but it is good. I mean, he makes a good point. You, you, it is always good to follow up with, okay, well, how would you do that? Because isn't, I mean, the Bible is meant to apply. If not, it wouldn't exist. It's profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. The, the man, man of God, God would be equipped for every, every good, good work. work. Bam. Next. Boom. Well, we have some counseling training for him. All right. So, y'all, we are in part two of the six-part series on our, uh, well, not just, this is not the end of it, I'm counseling training, we're going to do different resources, but this is the six-part series on the J. Adam pamphlets, and again, we have all of these, we can give it to you for free, if you ever need to lead someone in your life group, please let me or Pastor Hayden know, we have them upstairs in, uh, in the office to have available to help you walk your people through. First sentence I read, worry can put ulcers on the stomach, sap vitality out of living and drive us to an early death. And this is Jay Adams pamphlet on what do you do when you worry all the time? And a lot of our people, I would even say like, this is part of my past is struggle with anxiety and worry and overly caring. And this is a quote from the pamphlet is that worry makes us incapable of handling life's problems. Worry shows a lack of faith in God and keeps us from assuming responsibility in serving Jesus. Worry is a sin. Which brings us to the very way that we counsel anxiety, uh, which is, uh, life group leaders, it's so important. And this flies in the face of all other counseling. Uh, is the fact that we see worry and anxiety as as a as a root of sin, and if you don't attack it that way, we're never going to help them through the problem. Worry and anxiety is a lack of confidence and trust in the God who has saved them. 
if they're Christians. And they need to know this. And Christians are not Christians. They just they're they're sinning right. against God. And they need to know this. And this is why Pastor Hayden did the ice, the invite, connect, and engage. And this is why we need to engage. This is the uncomfortable part of engaging, but this is yes. why we're doing this so that you can feel equipped. It's not gonna mm-hmm. feel less comfortable but you'll feel equipped to let people know. I actually gave this exact pamphlet to a gentleman at our church and I asked him, what what was your big takeaway? He goes, I didn't realize worry was a sin, but I do now. And I realize I need to change. And now it's like, praise the Lord. And as a result, he realized this and he realized a week, a week, a week prior, that's when he got saved. And so all of a sudden he's starting to see the, the, you know, the depravity of a sin, but also how much his anxiety was drying uh, hit, driving him away to do what God intended him to do. Some passages to have in your back pocket about how worry and anxiety is a sin is Matthew 6, 33 and 34, uh, Philippians 4, 6, and also through 8, and in Matthew 25. And, and the pamphlet bre- breaks this down, and I love that it says this, is that worry is actually the worried person and the anxious person is really a lazy person. He uses the anxious servant in the parable of the three servants where one um, got 10 denarii and made an investment. Another one had five and and he made an investment. But one of them got one denarii and he buried it in the ground. He was anxious. He was worried about his master's fury. And what did the master call him? You lazy and wicked servant. And the Greek word for worry is to, to tear apart and to rip and essentially, that's what worry does. And so the Greek word is trying to describe what worry does uh, to us. And just to quote the pamphlet even further, worry is concern about something that we can do nothing about and what we cannot be sure about. This is why it tears us apart. Essentially, the people that are worried in your group, it's, it's, either, it's only this, things that they can't control, time, other people, and things like this. I'm worried about the election. Well, you can't control it. I, I, I'm worried about tomorrow. Well, tomorrow is tomorrow. You can't control it. What instead that this pamphlet does, it helps us refocus instead of on tomorrow. Instead, it focuses on what God wants us to do today. Because, quoting the pamphlet, if you focus on today, then energy is not wasted. And that's what Matthew 6 talks about. Say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything will be added to you. Don't let don't worry, worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is already worried for itself. Worry about today because you can get a handle on what it is today so you can do something about today's problems not tomorrow's uh, pastor Hayden, as you've counseled over the years how i've seen that ring true what part particularly the part that when anxious people are always focused on something they cannot control yeah i mean there's a on, there's a lot of reasons to worry and to, we're not trying to oversimplify this no we're right? not that that uh that there are there's there's a manifold reasons that people worry but to worry about things that you cannot control is a particular kind of problem uh, because we serve a God who controls all things. And so to, to see, it becomes a, a very quick sin against God is that you're not trusting God's providence, his sovereignty, God's care for his people. And we're actually going to read this in the daily Bible reading this week in Jeremiah. God says in Jeremiah 29, go into exile, build houses, get married, be the benefit of this nation don't resist my judgment. Embrace it and trust me and I'll deliver you. But Israel, over and over and over, and even at the end, they tell Jeremiah, hey, tell us, you know, we realize Babylon just destroyed us. They put us off a fake ruler. But hey, tell us what God wants and we'll do it. And he says, okay, don't go to Egypt. And they're like, 
We don't like that answer. You're lying to us. We're going to Egypt. Right. And and it often in our worry, maybe not always, but I think often stems from a uh, a distinction in our lives about how we want something different than what God would perhaps give us. And so we worry that our life will have to change or be different because of idolatry. Yeah, which is which is see what we're doing. We're having we're showing you that the worry and anxiety has perhaps way more to do with idolatry, and a way and a a large part to do with the with not trusting God, than it does with some kind of chemical imbalance in my brain or a a space in the synapses of my of my uh, brain cells that keep me from. Receiving the right kind of chemicals I need to appropriately respond to the hectic things in life. Do you see how one of them makes it about how you're how you're dealing with things, and the other one has to do with it? You can't control it. That's just it's just uh, chemicals in your body, which is what you all you are. As a matter of fact, you're just chemicals, right? <laughs> one of those has this idea that we are made in the image of God, and God has created us to respond and to commune with Him in a certain way. The other one makes us a a product of uh, a product of our makeup. It's just is that this idea. What is it? Uh, philosophy. This existentialism, or uh, uh, our. It's your not environmentalism. That's not the one. But uh, your environment controls. Yeah, it's dictates this, who you uh, are. Your naturalism. Back- naturalism. That's what I meant. Naturalism. Like this isn't about naturalism, right? This is about God has created us, and of course, we we all function. Because in a, in a large part due to the sin in our lives, but the, the this is the whole reason this is necessary to do counseling to help them uh, rewire their life in a way where they focus on the Lord and not on themselves. And there's not a lot of places they can go outside of God's church and community that's going to give them uh, the truth that are found in this counseling. So use training. this pamphlet because the pamphlet the, it gives the solution. Okay, so what? What do we do? At the end, it says ask the, help them ask these following questions. What is my problem? I have rent due. I got to do this. I have to take care of that. Okay. Then the next question is, what does God want me to do about it? And the next question is, when, where, and how should I begin? And then the final question is, how can I handle this problem for the glory of God? Because just to quote him further, you know, we don't want to settle for just good solutions and noble ideas. We need to get to work. So we need to help our people to schedule their actions and put the hardest things first. To, and I was just talking to a, a gal after exploring Compass. I'm like, all right, let's worry about today and let's make a plan to help you versus just making a decision based on your fear and your worry. Sound like you want to say something, Pastor? No, that was it. But I think that I think that's a good place to start as a life group in, in this in this training. Uh, and if you guys have any questions, we'd love to help you more with that as we move forward. And again, this is going to be a great first assignment to give someone that if you notice that they struggle with worry and anxiety, and we can give you further resources to help get do a diver, uh, deeper dive, excuse me, into this sin. All right. You know the announcements. Men Breakfast Whoop. on November 12th. Uh, Exploring Compass this is today. And if anyone has missed the second session, we are having it next Sunday. So make sure you invite them to attend that second one if they've missed it. And put it on your calendars. December 18th is our serve team celebration. Uh, and we have a lot going on in December. So be praying for all of that. But we do want to celebrate all those who have served at Compass this year uh, as God has used them to do such, such a great thing as we look at uh, last year in our church's history. So look forward to December 18th. And we do look forward to joining you guys again next week or praying for your life groups 
Look forward to hearing all that God is doing in your group. Mm-hmm.